Good morning, church family. I'm Corey Widmer. I'm one of the pastors here at Third, and we are so grateful that all of you are here. Let me just say again, welcome to you, um, whether you've been here one time or a hundred times, whatever your background, whatever uh, your belief system might be, whatever your experience, um, we're so grateful that every one of you is here and that we can celebrate this day together. If you've been with us at all over the last couple months uh, throughout Lent, you'll know that we have been in the series on 1 Corinthians that we were calling the cruciform life. Cruciform is just a fancy word that means cross-shaped, the cross-shaped life. And what we've discovered is that for the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, the cross, the message of the cross for him changes everything. It changes everything. It is not just the, the place where Jesus died, but that for Paul, at least, the cross also shows us how to live. That everything that we assumed about what it means to live a good life, the cross turns upside down. That's the cross-shaped life. But today, uh, we rejoice with brothers and sisters all over the world and all over Richmond that the cross is not the end of the story. That because Jesus is the protagonist of the story, it does not end in the cross, it ends in the resurrection. And so that's why today our theme is cruciform hope, looking at how the cross and resurrection call us to, to reimagine the very shape of our lives. So our reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, so if you'll turn there, either in the bulletin on page 12 or in your Bibles, I'll just be reading selections from that, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me pray as we go to God's word. We thank you. Lord, for the truth of Easter that brings hope into our world of death. We pray now that you would pour out on me and all of us the Holy Spirit, apart from whom we can do nothing, that we would not just understand what your word is saying, but so that we could respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's word, friends, from 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's the term that Paul uses for death. Some have died. And then verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So here's our big question that I want to ask you today. If your life had a shape, what shape would it be? If your, if your life could be represented by a shape, 
what shape would it be? Paul Miller, in his great book, A Loving Life, talks about the fact that nearly every ancient civilization, whether it was the Mesopotamians of Assyria uh, or the Taoist monks of China or even the North American tribes of the Cherokee Indians or other uh, Native American tribes, believed that the shape of life is a circle. The shape of life is circular. So every day was a time circle that began with the morning and ended with night. Uh, The moon, as you know, traces a circle of light every 30 days. The sun follows an annual circle tracing through the seasons. And they believe that every human life was a circle that began with birth uh, and ended with death. In fact, the circle became such a dominant symbol in ancient paganism because it seemed to encapsulate to many civilizations the truth of human existence, that life is a circle. Now, I want to be clear, this is not a happy circle, Uh, The Greeks, in fact, believed that we were trapped in this circle and there was no getting out. I don't know if you've ever read um, Homer's works, The Iliad and the Odyssey, but you'll remember if you did that Odysseus begins his journey in the Iliad uh, by moving out from his home, but he ends in the Odyssey by coming back to his same home. So despite all of his adventures, in the end, he comes full circle. That's the circle. Nothing new under the sun. Empires rise to glory. Empires fall to ashes. New life is born, old life dies. Every triumph and success haunted by the specter of disease and death. And in fact, Heraclitus, who is a poet, a Greek poet living in Ephesus, wrote in 500 BC, you probably heard this poem before, he says, all things, as all things change to fire, and fire exhausted falls back into dust, the way up is the way down, and the beginning is the end. And some of you are like, wow, that dude knows what he's talking about. Because <laughs> my life feels like that, right? All of us feel like that sometimes, right? You, the alarm clock goes off again. You drag yourself out of bed again. You make the kids breakfast or eat your Cheerios or whatever you eat. You make the same you know, pathway to work, the same job. Watch the clock. Get back home. Same dinner routine. Same bed routine. Same TV shows. Drag yourself back into bed. Go to sleep. Wake up. The whole thing back over and over again, right? The way up is the way back down. The beginning is the end. That's the futility of the circle. Now, our modern world has tried to dress up the circle a bit uh, and romanticize it and and make it even noble. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen um, the Disney's film, The Lion King. Remember remember Simba? Remember, you know, Elton John, Circle of Life. Remember that? Come on, people. You know, you remember what I'm talking about? Right, yeah. So so that movie celebrates a circle as if it's something noble uh, and worthy of our participation. And this actually has gotten a lot of uh, a, a lot of time recently, um, I follow a couple of guys on Twitter, these sort of celebrity scientists like uh, Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, and Tyson actually, just in an interview that I watched this week, he celebrates the circle of life. I love his voice. It's so mellifluous, you know. Let me say what he says. He says, uh, so all your entire body is made of molecules, molecules made of stardust that are fueled This is the way he talks, right? Okay. Fueled by the flora and the fauna and the animals that you eat. And when you die, your body decomposes back into the earth and those same molecules return to those very flora and fauna from which you came as you descend into your state of non-existence. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? You know? Does it... I mean, doesn't that make you feel so good? No. No. Who, who is comforted 
by the idea that your body decomposes back into the planet. Not me, not me. Uh, well, you say, your memory will live on, right? You could find meaning in that. Well, not really. Raise your hand. How many of you know the full names of your great-great-grandparents? One of you, two of you. That's, that is really sad, is it not? I mean, Banksy said, you die two deaths. Every person dies two deaths. The day you breathe your last and the day somebody says your name for the last time. That is painful, y'all, right? See, even the legacy of our lives can barely last two generations. So here's what I'm saying. The circle is depressing. The circle is brutal. The circle is bleak. Listen, though. There was one ancient civilization that did not believe that the shape of life was a circle. They had a different shape. For them, the ancient Hebrew culture believed that life was not a circle, but they saw life as a line that bends upward. A, let's call that, or what Paul Miller calls, a J-curve. A J-curve. In fact, Robert Alter, the great Old Testament scholar, says the entire thesis of the Hebrew Scriptures is a rebellion against the pagan worldview, which is locked into an eternal cyclical movement. Now, don't get me wrong. The ancient Hebrews, they were very tuned in to the fact that life is brutal and is marked by death. You read the Old Testament, all over you've got injustice, you've got brutality, you've got death. They understood that life is marked by that downward curve. But here's the huge difference, that for them, the Hebrew people saw life not as circling back over again on itself, but as moving upward, ultimately towards this invasion of God into the earth and the renewal of all things. So you read things like this in the Old Testament, behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth, and the old order of things will pass away. Justice will roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, this is not a shape that ends with the same old cycle. It is a shape that ends in triumph. It's a shape that ends in victory. It's a shape that even ends in resurrection. That's the J-curve. And I want to suggest to you, my brothers and sisters, that all of us want the J-curve to be true. Whether you are a Christian or not, this is, the, this is the story. This is the shape that all of us want. All of our best stories are J-curve stories. Remember Cinderella? Remember that fairy tale? Some of you kids know that story? It's a J-curve story. See what happened. Cinderella, she gets a bum deal, right? She goes, she, she gets, yeah, wicked stepsisters, stepmother, right? Uh, she goes down into a death of sorts, becomes a servant in servitude, in bondage, loses her identity, loses her life. And yet, oh my goodness, what happens to Cinderella? Magic pumpkins, friends. Magic pumpkins and, God, and talking mice and all that jazz. And then she comes up, she experiences a new birth of sorts as she marries her Prince Charming and her life is restored. That's a J-curve story. Or what about Jean Valjean, Les Miserables? You know, we love that story. What happens? Jean Valjean, he descends into death through murder and rage and imprisonment, and he's torn up and bound by his own anger. And what happens? He experiences a conversion of love. He literally receives a new name, and he turns upward and becomes a new man, a man who gives his life away for others. What is that? That's a J-curve story. See, all of our... Harry Potter, book seven, friends. I won't give it away, but you know, he goes down into a death of sorts and comes, returns in order to give his life for others. 
uh, uh, Black Panther, you, you just saw, you know, King, King T'Challa. What happens? He goes down into death and it becomes a new person who is able to give his life for all of our best stories. In fact, even sports, March Madness, fueled by the J-Curve stories of the Cinderella teams. Greatest sports team of all time, Chicago Cubs, it's J-Curve, baby. You know, down, <laughs> down into death. Sometimes that J-Curve, sometimes the downward curve is a long time, you know. <laughs> A hundred years we waited, friends. And then praise Jesus, hallelujah, that upward turn. And that resurrection was sweet. So, so you see, friends, the J-curve story is everywhere because we all want the J-curve story. This is the shape that all of us want. We all want to believe this deep down, that that J-curve is true. The good news of Easter is that it is that the J-curve is true. The reason why all the best stories take the shape of a J-curve is because they are all pointing to the great story of Easter. They're all pointing to the greatest J-curve story in history. Paul told it this morning in the text. Did you hear it? He said this, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of, what do you say? The gospel. That means good news. I want to remind you of the good news that I preached to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand, and then watch for the J-curve. Ready? Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried. That's death. That's a downward curve. That's everything we talked about this week, the brutality, the horror, the injustice, the murder of the Son of God. And then what does he say? Upward. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He appeared to Peter and to the twelve, and then more to 500 others. And let's just be clear. Paul is not speaking here of a metaphorical, symbolic resurrection. He's not talking about like the way we talk about Elvis, like he's still alive in our hearts. Or, you know, he's not, he's, not, he's not saying that Jesus lives on in our memory. He is, the reason he names all of these witnesses is because he is literally saying that Jesus, the wandering rabbi of Nazareth, who was crucified by the Roman state as a criminal, rose up in physical body from the dead with a new restored body vindicating and demonstrating that he indeed is the Savior and the Son of God. What this is saying is this, is that the good news is that the J-curve is not, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not like a, a wistful hope that we embed in our fairy tales to assuage the desolation of our circular lives. It is true. Christianity is good news, not good advice. It is not good advice about how to be good or, or tips on how to live a nice life. It is good news about God entering into history to destroy the circle, to descend down into death, take on suffering and sin and judgment, and come out the other side in triumph and resurrection. The arc of history is not an endless circle. It is a line that is moving upward inexorably towards hope. That is the shape of history. See, the J-curve is true. What if it's true, friends? What does that mean for you? What are you going to do? You're just going to go eat lunch? I'm serious. How is your life going to be different if this is true? Here's how it could be different. If this is true... This shape can become your shape. This story can become your story. The J-curve can become the shape of your life. Paul Miller suggests there's at least three ways that we can enter into the J-curve. The first is faith. 
Becoming a Christian is really simple. It has nothing to do with going to church or trying to be good. It just is simply this, repentance and faith. Repentance means admitting you're a sinner, that you need rescue, and faith is trusting in the person of Jesus and what he did to die and rise. That's all it is. In fact, Paul says it like this in Romans 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, watch for the J-curve, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we are raised as well. He's saying something amazing here. He's saying, go back to the J-curve. He's saying, look, Jesus died, right? And then Jesus rose. And when any person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they die with Jesus, die to sin, die to the old life, die to the meaningless circle, and they rise to newness of life. Through faith, Jesus' J-curve becomes your J-curve. The arc of his life can become the arc of your life as you're connected to him. You know, I once jumped out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. I knew nothing about skydiving. I had never done it before. I didn't read a book about it. I had no instructions about it. I had no idea what I was doing. Why did I do this? (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) It was a bachelor party, right? (laughs) But, but, But here's the thing. It was a tandem jump, which meant I was literally strapped to a professional skydiver who had gone before me, who had all of the knowledge and skill, who had the power to do what I could not in myself do. Here's what I'm saying. You don't have the power to beat death. You don't have the power to break out of this circle. But by faith, you are connected to the one who can and has. By faith, you are connected to the one who has already passed through death. And you may be connected to him by faith. This is why baptism is one of the great signs of becoming a Christian because when someone is baptized, they go down into the water. It's a little harder to demonstrate that in the Presbyterian church as we sprinkle, you know. But they go, they go down into the water. <laughs> right, friends? And then, they, and then they come back up out of the water to new life. And that's the first way that the Easter story can be your story through the simple act of putting your faith in Jesus and that through him, God has, can raise you to a new kind of life. So listen... I don't know why you're here. I know why some of you are here, because I see you a lot. But some of you, you I don't know why you're here. You might might have been forced to be here. I'm sorry for that. I really am. (laughs) But listen, none of us are here by accident. And I want you to know that God is inviting each of you into this new life. You don't have to live in the circle anymore. You don't have to be trapped in the futility of that existence. God is offering you rescue today. That's beautiful. That's available to you by faith. Another way, a not-so-happy way, we can enter into the J-curve is through suffering. The shape of Easter means that there is real hope for the world of suffering and death that we live in every day. Paul is very real about this. In a reading, he said this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. The people who have died, worm food. If only it is for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying, if this story of the resurrection is not true, you are chasing a fairy tale and none of your sacrifices are worth it. None of them. If Easter's a myth, all you've got is a circle. Simba's right. Elton John's right. Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's right, right? 
Figure out some way to fritter away your life and find solace in your meaningless existence before you return to the earth. And have fun with that. But Paul says, no, the story is true. Christ is risen, which means we can have hope even in the most dire circumstances, even in the most brutal pain and disappointment, even in the face of death. Because Jesus has guaranteed that the shape of life, the arc of history, is moving upward. Y'all, look, how can you explain people like Andy and Brenda Burgess if the J-curve isn't true? The cynics among you might say, oh, it's faith, faith is just, it's really good that Andy can do that, but his faith is a crutch. It's just helping him get through a despairing time. No, Andy is the, the most sane person in our church right now. He has, he has literally gone down into death, pain and loss and sorrow and death with his wife. And in that experience, I would even say because of that experience, he has experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit, the inexplicable peace of God's presence in the midst of pain, and he has the knowledge and the hope that his beloved Brenda is with the Lord, free from her pain, and that one day he will embrace her as she stands in a new body again. He has tasted every day. He tastes the joy. He tastes the sorrow of that downward curve, but already he has tasted the upward movement of joy. So for those who trust in Jesus, the J-curve can become your story in your own suffering. All of your deepest sorrows, listen, all of our deepest sorrows, all of them, when you're connected to Jesus, will always conclude up and to the right. You know the end of the story. I have this bad habit. I've confessed it to you before. When I'm reading suspenseful novels and I'm kind of nervous, I skip and I read the last chapter. Just to make, yeah, I know, isn't it awful? It's just, I feel embarrassed admitting that. But I just want to make sure that the characters that I love make it to the end. It gives me perseverance to be able to keep reading, right? So this is what Easter does. It shows us the ending. Every crucifixion will end in resurrection. Every crucifixion will end in resurrection. Some of you are facing suffering like Andy's. And you need to hear this. Some of you are are down in the bottom of that J-curve. Really down in it. And, and even if you're not, all of us face degrees of low-level suffering every day, right? A difficult child, a job that you hate, a marriage or a relationship that's broken, maybe a mental health challenge, maybe just the despair of, of, or the pain of getting through every day. I'm guessing that nearly all of us in the room at some area in our lives are finding ourselves at the bottom of that J-curve right now. And here is that, listen, if all you have is the circle, I'm sorry. You have no hope. You have no capacity to endure. But trusting in Jesus means that his story is your story and that his J-curve is your J-curve. Yeah, your suffering is real. Yeah, your pain is raw. But guess what, friends? Your line is moving upward. Resurrection is coming. The upward curve is on the way. The hard part is, is that you can't control when. You don't know how or when the resurrection will come, what shape it will take, when your difficulties will make sense, whether in this life or the next. Resurrection is God's work. It's not ours. It's his timing, not our timing. But knowing that it is coming gives us perseverance to endure, courage to face the deepest pain, and hope to never despair. Like Job said, though he slay me, I will trust him. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, the true story 
has the shape of a J, and by believing in Jesus, that can be the shape of your life too. Do you believe that? One final way you can enter the J curve of Easter is through love. In our series on the cruciform life, we've been learning that the way to the good life is not the way that we've been told, right? Self-assertion, success, accumulation, money, power. Friends, that's just the circle. It always leaves you back where you started, the same old restlessness and discontentment. But Jesus comes along and he has a very different vision of the good life. He says, if anyone tries to save or gain your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses your life, for my sake, will find it. This is, this is like Jesus' April Fool's joke, friends. You lose your life, you'll find it. He says the good life is a J-curve life. The good life is the one that is patterned after Jesus. The path to life, the path to resurrection is crucifixion. And so the journey, the way to life is the way of humility and service and sacrifice and self-denial and above all things, the kind of love that says, my life for you. Every act of love, every act of love, no matter how small or how big, has the shape of a J-curve, which means death to yourself, life for others. Every true act of love. So you, you see a donut in the workroom. There's only one left. It's Sugar Shack, your favorite. What do you do? The choice to not eat that donut, oh, what death to yourself, <laughs> means what? means what? It means a tasty treat for another, right? It's a simple act of love, death to self, life for others. That's the J-curve. We've been working on our traffic discipleship, have we not, Third Church, right? <laughs> Your choice to let someone merge in traffic, oh, what a death, you know? <laughs> what a death to let someone merge. But yet, by doing that, you are, what are you doing? You're opening up life for others. Small little things. This is true in relationships. Your choice to forgive when you want to resent. Your ability to give someone else the last word in an argument. Oh, what death. But what does it do? It opens up life. Peace in a marriage. Peace in relationships. Or take Andy, walking down into the valley of death with his wife, something neither of them could have ever imagined being called to do 40 years ago when they took their wedding vows. Yet out of this act of suffering love, what's happened? All of this joy and all of this hope and all of this beauty has sprung forth even for us here today. Their act of suffering love has brought life for others. So every act of service and self-giving, no matter how large or small, taken on for the sake of love, opens the door for you to enter into the J-curve, the pattern of Jesus. So what might you do in response to this good news? Let me just suggest two simple things. One, you can join your life to Jesus. We talked earlier today about how becoming a Christian involves just that simple act of repentance and faith. And I just want to invite you to do that if you've never done that before, or if you want to renew your commitment to Jesus, to just join your life with his. You can even do it while we're singing the last song of the service today. All it means is just saying, God, I have made a mess of my life, and I cannot do anything about the problem of my sin, and I cannot solve certainly the problem of my own death. And so I turn and I trust in the work of Jesus and what he has accomplished for me. And I promise you, before you can even get the words out, you will receive the bear hug embrace of God the Father and welcomed into his feast. You could do that today. And if you want to, or if you have, talk to somebody. Talk with the person you came with. Talk to me after the service. Talk to one of the people that will be up to pray for you at the font after the service. 
we want to help you take the next steps in the J-Curve life. The other thing that you could do is you could join a J-Curve community. Because there is so much in us and around us that pressures us to live a different shape, we need each other to be reminded of the J-Curve and to call each other back into this kind of life again and again. So how can you do that? Well, one simple way is to be a part of a church. So keep coming back. In fact, I don't even care if you come to this church. Maybe you don't even like this church. I don't care. Go to another church. But the point is, is that you need people in your life who are modeling the J-curve life and who can remind you of it. If you are part of our church, consider joining a parish group. Parish groups are J-curve communities. Our website can show you how to join groups. There's one meeting in your neighborhood. But we need each other to model the kind of life, the J-curve life that Jesus is patterning for us. So friends, we began our time together today with this question. If your life had a shape, what shape would it be? Would it be the circle or would it be the J-curve? Because of Easter, it can be the J-curve. There is no death that will not need life. There is no descent that will ultimately end in resurrection and hope. You do not have to live a life that is marked by the futility of the circle. But we have a life that bends inexorably towards resurrection. That is the good news of Easter, friends. And this is why we can say together with confidence and hope these words that Christians have spoken today all over the world and over one another for centuries. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Let's pray. We do praise you, loving God, that Easter is not a myth. It is true. And because of that, the shape of history is not a circle It is an upward curve pointing towards resurrection, pointing towards renewal, pointing towards the restoration of all things, even our very lives. Lord, I want to pray especially for folks today who are in the valley, who are in that that lower down curve of the J. Lord, there are so many here. I'm just looking at some folks in the room right now who are facing some really, really hard stuff, and it's hard to endure. It's hard to persevere. And and I just pray, God, that you would give them a supernatural measure of faith that though they do not see how or when the resurrection will come, how these difficulties will make sense, I pray that you would give them faith knowing that they are on a path that is leading upward and that they would find courage and perseverance to endure. Lord, give all of us the faith to bind our lives to Jesus so that we would gain our life by losing it, so that we would be willing to give our lives away for others as Jesus has done so for us. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that it's true. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.